Good morning again. I was greeting people before the service and said hi to someone, and they said that this was their second week in a row to church, uh, just because of weather and then uh, travel. And actually, I was able to say, well, this is my second week in a row to church. Um, We've had some comments made about we've taken some holidays this winter, and yes, I will be away next Sunday as well, but uh, we're usually here all summer enjoying the nice weather and that up here. Pastor Todd is away, uh, has been away this week and away, coming back this week, and uh, so it is my honor to be able to share with you God's Word today. Uh, Growing up, and if some of you are uh, familiar with my age group and that, you remember the cola wars. Remember the commercials, the two main colas, one better than the other? You remember there's all kinds of commercials and that. Well, I always preferred one type of cola and still do. And usually every church I went into as a youth pastor, the senior pastor preferred the other one. So there was always this ongoing competition between us and things like that. Well, when I was a youth pastor, the youth would always find it um, enjoyable to try to play tricks on me. You know, the tasting thing. I'd have a, a bottle of pop. One, one uh, mission trip, we went downtown Toronto and did a, a March break down there. We are uh, working with different organizations and out on the streets and delivering bag lunches and things. But one night I was out until I think 2 or 3 in the morning with... Um, the Salvation Army special uh, food van that goes out. Anyways, I come back to the guest house that we were staying at, tired, everyone was asleep. I had a bottle of my pop in the fridge, and it's nice and quiet. I was, I was just going to sit down and just read for a bit before I went to bed. And I got my pop, I opened it, poured it in my guy, sitting down, and I knew like that, those kids had switched the pop. I mean, I could tell the difference. Now, I do have to admit that there were other times that they would do that, and I didn't find out as much, but, or as quickly, but uh, those wars kind of went on. Um, now, on a, on a topic completely not related, uh, we had a dog years ago, and uh, our dog's name was Pepsi. <laughs> <laughs> The race for first place in mankind's heart, uh, in man's affections, attentions, focus, and desires has been going on since the Garden of Eden. The series that we're on dealing with the Ten Commandments called the Ten Words, um, Pastor Todd spoke last week, and one of the things he said about the Ten Commandments is they're really given out in how to love God. And the second part of that was really in an age of idolatry. Uh, finding first place in our hearts when so much around us is um, trying to get that. Pastor Todd shared last week on Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 3, and, and that's, you shall have no other God before me. This week, we're looking at the second commandment. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to read second, or Exodus 20, verse 4 and 5. I'll start reading, and then I'll get you to read the second one. Oh. You know what? I forgot to switch colors. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's the second slide. All right? Um, We're actually going to read Hebrews 12 as well, verse 1 and 2. I'll read that next slide, and then you can read the next slide. All right? You shall not make for yourself a carved image of any likeness, 
of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God and a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. And Hebrews says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word. God, the freedom we have, the privilege we have to read it, to look at it today. Speak to us, I pray, and be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. May be seated. The race for first place. The first thing I want to look at is the easy road. Verse 4 says, As you shall make for yourselves, you shall not make for yourselves a carved image. Uh, Years ago, I was uh, in the country of India doing a trip and um, staying there, beautiful country, uh, some incredible food. And uh, one of the things about India is Hinduism is the main uh, religion, and there are just so many different gods. But one of the things that stood out to me, different again than our culture, is that all over, you can see all these shrines and temples on, for these other gods. Even in the community, the neighborhood that we were living in, there were neighborhood shrines where there would be an idol there and people would bring daily their offerings, uh, both flowers but also food offerings and that to the, to the gods, which stood out, again, different from us. The nation of Israel in the Old Testament lived at a time where there were many gods, uh, really, the, each of the nations had their own series of gods and how they worshipped and how they served. One writer says this, though we, cannot, uh, though we do not face a pantheon of false gods like the Israelites did, we face pressures from a pantheon of false values, materialism, love of leisure, sensuality, worship of self, security, and many others. The second commandment deals with idols. This may be something that most of us can't relate to unless we include life's goals that revolve around something other than God himself. What is the object of our affections, our efforts, our attention? Where does the majority of our time go? On what do we spend the greatest amount of our resources? The command here to have no other gods before God is is really a heart issue, and that's where we start at. The false gods and idol worships were all around the nation of Israel. They were in Egypt where they were for hundreds of years. And they were going to be into the land that they were going to go and conquer as well as the nations around them. There was going to be constantly a temptation to follow these false gods. Each idol, each god had its own appeal, had its own practices and way of worshiping. Something that would appeal to even the carnal nature, the flesh of mankind. The easy road would be to follow the flesh, to follow our own desires and wants. Something that, uh, something that we can see, we can feel, we can touch. Something that we can desire or that we crave or want. Uh, the human nature, the natural way for us to go. 
is not necessarily towards God. And that's the battle, that is the struggle within each of us. The race for first place is really about who we are going to serve, who you're going to love, who you're going to follow and obey. That was true for the nation of Israel, and that's true for us today. It may not be an idol, a physical image or statue that we bow down to, but sometimes there's something in our life that we, we follow before God. We have even greater affections and attention than we do for God. It's sometimes easy to take God for granted. And little by little, we can begin to put other things uh, in his place. We have to guard our hearts. The race for first place, it's a hard race to run. It isn't easy. It takes our whole heart and it takes an effort It's like swimming against the current. It's like walking in a crowd that's all moving the other way and you're pressing toward to go the opposite direction. In Mark chapter 12, we read this. Which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered. The most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Jesus, later on in Matthew chapter 16, we read this. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits its soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. When we read here about dying to ourselves, it isn't physically killing ourselves. It's actually dying to our own will and wants and desires. And that sometimes can be the hardest struggle, even for Christians that we daily have to fight that battle against our own wants and desires. The race for first place, secondly, is also we have to watch the slippery slope. The first part of verse 5 of our text is, and you shall not bow down to them or serve them. God created us. He formed us. God knows us. He knows every part of us. He knows our strengths. He sees us. And he even sees what we can be and what we will be in him. And that's an important thing to remember. Sometimes we can be down on ourselves or other people can be down on us. And sometimes we can have a negative attitude about ourselves. God sees us who we are, but who we will be in him in eternity. We need to, we need to let God show that to us. Reveal that to us that he sees in us the good that we are and we will be in him. But he also knows He knows our weaknesses, our struggles. There's an old hymn written in the 1700s by Robert Robinson. It's quite a story about his life where he was quite wild before he came to Christ. And then as a young man, he came to Christ. He became a minister and and, uh, pastor of a church, but he still struggled. The story is that he even wandered away from that. But he, he wrote a hymn that says, Come Thou Fount. The third stanza of that says this. 
Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O God. O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. The struggle to keep God first in our life can sometimes be a real battle for all of us, whether we realize it or not. For the nation of Israel, their history is one of up and down when it came to God. Now, God had done great things for them. He had delivered them for 400 years of slavery. Uh, He had used mighty power through the 10 plagues to, to defeat the nation of Israel and to win their release from slavery. Then he defeated the Egyptian army at the Red Sea, again, through mighty power. He miraculously provided for millions of them in the wilderness for, with food and water. However, at the time that God was giving Moses these Ten Commandments, Pastor Todd mentioned it last week, what was the nation of Israel doing? They were down in the camp. They had taken the gold earrings that they had, melted it down, and had made an idol of a calf and had set it up before themselves saying, here is your God, O Israel. We know when you keep reading about the nation of Israel that they would continue to struggle up and down, back and forth with serving God and serving idols. God warns people, the nation of Israel, in the Old Testament, his warnings really in Deuteronomy are clear. Only take care, he says, Keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest you depart from your heart. Again, they had experienced God like no other people had. God came down on the mountain and spoke and revealed himself to them through fire. They had experienced his power again and again and again, and yet he tells them, guard your heart diligently talks to them and warns them about the nations around them and the other gods. And he says that uh, you will be, warns them that you'll be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them. In Deuteronomy 7, he says that they're to take these idols that they take from the other nations and to burn them, to destroy them, to not allow any of them to dwell within them, within their kingdom. And again, to destroy, in Deuteronomy 12, to destroy all the idols of the other nations. God was clear and how important it was to get rid of those things in, our, in their lives that would be a snare and would lead them away. Christ's teaching in the New Testament, Jesus takes his teaching and kind of takes the Old Testament and kind of expands it. That's a, when you look at the Sermon on the Mount, it really becomes clear. In the Old Testament, it says don't kill. But in the New Testament, Jesus says we're not even allowed to hate. Again, he takes it and makes it a heart issue, something on the inside, not just the outward acts. That becomes really clear in Mark chapter 10 when Jesus is talking to this rich young ruler who comes to him. This man comes and he bows down. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. You know, do this, 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 and this. And the young man says, I've followed those all my life. Verse 21 says this. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. That's the one thing that we can be clear and sure of from God. 
is that when he looks at us, he loves us. Never doubt it. He looks at us, he knows us, and he loves us. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. That's incredible. Just one thing he lacked. What was it? Jesus goes on and he says, go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But the scripture goes on and says that the man disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Sometimes things can be in our hearts and can be in first place, and we don't even know it or aware of it. Jesus, in this man's life, brought it right to the point of what he was lacking, that one thing that he was still missing, that one thing that was still in the way from him making God first in his life. It wasn't just the outward practice, the outward look and appearance. It was a heart issue. What was number one in his life? God looked down, loved him, but knew what the issue was and brought it to his attention. We begin to understand that it's sometimes easy that things can creep in and can become first place. Sometimes even things that in the beginning are good are not wrong within themselves. Wealth is not wrong unless it comes before God. Money is not wrong. It is the love of money that becomes the sin and the snare. Again, that slippery slope that little by little we begin to fall and slip away. Jesus said it again in Matthew chapter 6, but you first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Put God first. Put the kingdom of God first in your life and everything else will fall to place. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, looking to Jesus, keeping Jesus the focus of your life each day, every day, throughout the day, in whatever you do. We have to live our lives. We work and we have things that we have to do. The idea is just keeping God first in it. That nothing begins to take over importance or love our attention, our desire, what we want, what we desire, that Christ stays number one. The race for first place, well, we need to be on the right track. Second part of verse five says, for I am the Lord your God am a jealous God. If you're going to run a race, and yes, you can tell I'm not a runner, okay? God didn't build me for running. Well, actually, He might have, I just don't eat according to being a runner. But one thing I know is that if you're going to run, you need to be on the right track. If you're going to reach the finish line, you need to be on the right track that you're going to reach that finish line. Again, looking to Jesus. He's our finish line. He's our goal. He's what we're running after. The nation of Israel, they were God's chosen people. God had called Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their descendants had called them to be his people. He had a plan to bless all mankind, and it would come through that nation of Israel. The nation of Israel would be used to fulfill God's plan. The Messiah, the Savior, our Savior and Lord, would be born through the nation of Israel. God had blessed them like no other people. God had revealed himself to them like he had to no other nation. 
God had chosen to live among them like he had never chosen to live with any other people. And yet he says that I am a jealous God. One commentator wrote, God is speaking of people making idols and bowing down and worshiping those idols instead of giving God the worship that belongs to him alone. God is possessive of the worship and service that belong to him. It is a sin, as God points out in in this commandment, to worship or serve anything other than God. It is a sin when we desire or we are envious or we are jealous of someone else or someone because he or she has something that we do not have. It is a different use of the word jealous when God says he is jealous. What he is jealous of belongs to him. Worship and service belong to him alone. All and are to be given to him alone. When we think of the word jealous, and in our human sense, we're jealous usually of someone else. And sometimes jealousy can be um, a very dark place. It's something when a little kid wants something that someone else has, they get it, and two minutes later, they're on to something else. Adults, I've seen jealousy become really deep-rooted, really dark. It can become a real hatred towards someone. Basically because they have something that you don't have and you want. It can be a possession. It could be an ability or a skill. Even in the kingdom of God, I've seen people jealous of someone else that has uh, uh, even a spiritual gifting, something different that they don't have. It can be even something as silly as, as someone's looks. And we can allow jealousy to take root. Jealousy is a sin when it is a desire for something that does not belong to you. Worship, praise, honor, and adoration belong to God alone. For only he is truly worthy of it. Therefore, God is rightly jealous when worship, praise, honor, or adoration is given to idols or anything else in our life. There is only one God like our God. Amen? There is only one God like our God, and he is worthy to receive all praise and all glory. Psalms 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaim his handiwork. I believe that creation reveals the power, the might of God. When you look at creation, when you study the universe, it's it's amazing. Creation, mankind himself, it reveals the glory of God, the power, the might of who he is. Psalms 139 talks about the Lord, that he searches me and you know me, um, that your spirit is always with us. Where can I go from your presence, it says. And then it goes on and says that you formed my inner parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Our God is an awesome God. He knows us. He sees us. He, He even sees us before we're born, and he knows us. Isaiah 61, or Isaiah 6 talks about uh, the vision that Isaiah had of the Lord in heaven. God seated upon his throne, the heavenly beings calling out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. There is no one else like our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. No one else is worthy of our praise, worthy of our hearts. 
Be on the right track. Stay focused on God. Seek your eyes set on Christ. And let everything else fall into place. Keep him first. Seek him first. The race for first place, we've got to remember the spectators. Verse, the last part of verse 5 and 6, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. We, uh, we know a couple that are uh, Toronto Maple Leaf fans and Blue Jay fans, of course, right? Who wouldn't be, right? <laughs> they, uh, they watch the games. They uh, watch all the talking about the games. They uh, even decorate at times their house and wear clothing, you know, with their teams on it. They talk about the players. They talk about the games. They talk about the stats. I mean, these people are real fans. Guess who their young son cheers for? Montreal. Does someone say Montreal? <laughs> no, at this point, he cheers the same as his parents. He's raised that way, surrounded that way. He's influenced by their enthusiasm. Now, possibly in the future, he'll change, but for now, he's influenced by them. I believe that this idea of spectators, of those watching, is a parental warning. Our actions, our focus, our attention, our affections can and do have a strong effect upon the children that we influence, those around us. Not just children, but people. Um, people know, kids know what you're passionate about. They know what's important to you. They know it. They know what gets you upset and what you don't care that much about. People are watching, and they need to see Christ. They need to see a love for God. It's the love of God that will help people, change people, minister to people. Not all of our other stuff, but God. Amen? There's a song... Uh, on the radio I've been listening to, uh, uh, Only Jesus, something like that, Jesus only or Jesus first or something. The song is incredible. It talks about leaving a legacy, and the, I think it's Casting Crowns sings, and says, I don't want to leave a legacy. I don't want to leave my name, and look what I've done. The song is about, they wants to leave, that they would only see Jesus through his life, through their efforts, by what they do. This world needs to see Jesus. They need to see a love for God. In a world that's changing, in a world that it can be up and down, a world that can have a lot of hurt and pain. Sometimes life, even for a Christian, we can go through dark times, difficult times and challenges. But when we hold to the path, God sees us through. I shared yesterday at a service where one of our sisters had passed away, and I was able to share, as I have with many people since my years of coming here, of those who have faced death and have died, that they face an uncertainty because they haven't died before. 
But for those that know Christ and have really come to that place of trusting him, there's a real peace within their life. Some of them, there's even a joy. It's uncertain what they're going to go through, but they know who's going to be there with them, and they know who's waiting on the other side. That faith, that trust is something that people need to see in our lives. Not just at the end, if we have time, but during our walk each day, during our talks. Nation of Israel was instructed to to talk about God, to talk about the things of God. When you get up in the morning, when you go down at night, now, I'll admit, they didn't have TV, they didn't have the internet, they didn't have their phones and iPads. And so talking was their main thing that they could do as people. But it's still something really important that we need to live and share. Tell them what God's done in your life. You can't force it. Let God give you wisdom when to do it, when not. Sometimes with kids, you've got to take the opportunity. Leanne was awesome at this. Because a lot of times it would be late at night. I'm not good at night. I joke, I've got about 45 minutes in the afternoon. That's my good time. <laughs> late at night, I'm, I'm tired. But sometimes that's when the kids would open up. And you have to take that time. You have to take that moment. You may have 100 things on your mind and things that you still have to do. But when the opportunity comes to share and they open up to start that conversation, be there. Share God. Share your life story. Share what God has done for you. We're experiencing that now with the next generation, our grandchildren. Even this week, they've been up here. And uh, I've had time to speak and to share what God has done, what he's meant in my life, and how he helped me. And again, you just have to take that moment when it opens, when it happens. You can't schedule it in, you can't book it, and you can't force it. But be ready for it. And ask God to help you. God, whatever opportunity I have today, help me. When we keep God first, those other things fall behind. They're not as important as it is serving God. I want to wrap up. The race for first place is really a race that we run ourselves, against ourselves, if we admit it. God is not trying to be first. He is first. There is no one who is greater than him. There is no one who is mightier. The race, the struggle, the battle is within ourselves and who we put in first place. Here we have the battle between self and God. Self our, our own interests, desires, wants, cravings, what's easier. And sometimes that becomes the battle. What's easier? What's more comfortable? Sometimes we face peer pressure, and that's mostly the level of persecution that we face in this country, is peer pressure. But sometimes even that becomes hard, and we just kind of give in. On the other hand, we have God that we can put first. Jesus says in Revelation 22, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. No matter what else we may think God is first, he is number one. We just need to put him there in our hearts and in our lives. So how can we do that? Well, first of all, what comes to mind when you think of the idea of an idol in your life? Someone talked to me this week that when Pastor mentioned that last week, something came into their mind. Hebrews again says, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. The second thing is ask God. Ask God if there is anything in your life that is a spiritual weight or a sin that clings so closely that it's hindering your Christian walk. It's hindering him not being number one in your life. Ask God. Now, I warn you, if you ask God, and then the second one is ask God for help, if you do that and mean that, God will answer that prayer, and it could be painful. But when you put God first and you want him first in your life, then it's, it's a pain, it's a journey that's worth going through because you're going for what you love, what you want most. The next thing is asking God for help. Seek him, draw near to him. Ask God for a love, a love for him that's greater than anything else. Now again, hold on. God will answer that prayer. But he may have to start breaking things off in your life and that can be painful. He may start shaking your life up a little bit, removing some things from your life, making some things um, unappealing to you, changing all those things that you've known and been comfortable with. But the race, the battle, is to put Christ first and to reach the finish line, to hear him say, well done, well done. God is on our side. He's not fighting us. He's running with us. He's running to help us, to support us, to encourage us, the whole way. God called you into that relationship with him. He revealed himself to you, and he is going to go to the end with you. I found this uh, a couple months ago. Uh, the author's unknown. It's kind of like a poem, and uh, it's really uh, uh, stuck in my heart, my mind. It came back to me when I was looking at a, a closing. And it's called, Still He Walked. Let me read it. He could hear the crowd screaming, crucify, crucify. He could hear the hatred in their voices. These were his chosen people. He loved them. And they were going to crucify him. He was beaten, bleeding, and weakened. His heart was broken. But still... He walked. He could see the crowd as he came from the palace. He knew each of the faces so well. He had created them. He knew every smile, every laugh, and every shed tear. But now they were contorted with rage and anger. His heart was broken. But still, he walked. Was he scared? You and I would have been. So as humanness would have been mandated that he was. He felt alone. His disciples had left. 
denied, and even betrayed him. He searched the crowd for a loving face, and he saw very few. Then he turned his eyes to the only one that mattered, and he knew that he would never be alone. He looked back at the crowd, at the people who were spitting at him, throwing rocks at him and mocking, and he knew that because of him, they would never be alone. And so for them, he walked. The sounds of the hammer striking the spikes echoed through the crowds. The sounds of his cries echoed even louder. The cheers of the crowd as his hands and feet were nailed to the cross intensified with each blow. Loudest of all was the still, small voice inside his heart that whispered, I'm with you, my son. And God's heart broke. He had let his son walk. Jesus could have asked God to end his suffering. But instead, he asked God to forgive. Not to forgive him, but to forgive those, the ones who are persecuting him. As he hung on that cross, dying an unimaginable death, he looked out and he saw not only the faces in the crowd, but also the face of every person yet to be. And his heart was filled with love. As his body was dying, his heart was alive. Alive with the limitless, unconditional love he feels for each of us. That is why he walked. When I forget how much God loves me, I remember his walk. When I wonder if I can be forgiven, I remember his walk. When I need to be reminded of how to live like Christ, I think of his walk. And to show him how much I love him, I wake up each morning, turn my eyes to him, and I walk. Church, the, the race, the battle, to put, to put God and to keep God is number one, may be hard because we really fight it with ourselves. So many things can creep in in our own human nature, our own weaknesses. But I'll tell you, God loves you. He loves you so much that he was willing to walk. Next week, we will be in Jerusalem, a few of us, 16 of us. I look forward to seeing some of those places that I've read about and known since I was a child. But I don't know if Jerusalem will make it any more real as what God's Spirit can do in my heart and what he did when I first came to him as Lord and Savior. It isn't a place I'm going to. I've already met the person. And that's true for each and every one of us. That when we meet the person and know the person, of God, of Jesus Christ. That's who touches us, that's who changes us, and that's who keeps us. My challenge today, my call to you, is to walk. 
to walk with Christ before you. Some of you are young and your life is before you. Some of us are young. I'll put us in there. You've got a long journey ahead of you, Lord willing. My challenge and my call to you, my invitation, I believe, from God is to put God first. Even as you're beginning your careers, your education, put God first. Let him lead your steps. I've had jobs that, no matter how much I kind of liked the work, they still become jobs. But when I turned it around and started doing it for God, because I believe he put me there, it changed everything. It made life, it made even the stuff I didn't like, likable. Because I did it for Christ. It was putting him first. There'll be ups and downs in the journey. How many of us can say amen? Amen. But I guarantee you this that God will be with you on the highs and he'll be with you in the lows. And he will help you put them first. Adults, seniors. We've been on the journey maybe for a while. I challenge you to reevaluate and ask God to reevaluate your life. Has anything crept in before him? Has anything become more important to you than God? We need adults, parents, grandparents, that age group, to love God, to serve God, and to show a younger generation what it means to live for God. Our days are not over. There is no retirement in the kingdom of God. You hear me? There is no retirement. I know and I understand that at times physically we can't do what we could, but there's still a work for us to do. And if anything, we live for God and we give testimony for God and we pray for those who are coming before, behind us. We need people, we need the church in North America, in Canada, in Sudbury, to rise up and to live for him. Not to be crazy, but to be in love. and To love the one who has loved you. Have you ever been excited about something? Someone? Just make sure that that you are about God and keep him first. And he will draw you and he will reveal himself to you like you've never experienced before. He will speak into your life the only way he can. And be the the father, the friend that you truly need. I believe God wants to do that in our lives. But he won't force any of us. Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you, God, for your love. Lord, I thank you for walking that walk. 
When we read in your word, it wasn't an easy walk. You stumbled, you fell under the weight of your cross. You, at one point, couldn't carry it anymore, and they brought someone else along to help. And yet you still walked. You walked. What amazes me to this day, you walked for me. That I might know you. And now, God, I pray that you would help me to continue to serve you. You are worthy of all praise and all glory. You are worthy of my best love. Because of who you are and what you've done. Lord, I pray for us here. I pray for those who are viewing today and those who will. That, God, you would speak to our hearts. You're gentle. You're already speaking, revealing things, God. You're reminding us again that we've had struggles, we've fallen down, and you're there to help us. You're not running against us, you're running with us. You're the one who even comes alongside of us to take up our cross, to help us with the load, and to walk the walk that you've set before us. Father, I pray right now that you would encourage our hearts and may we sense and know your presence. And I pray that God, as we walk from this place, that you will remind us each day about walking. Every step we take, remind us, God, of this message of of walking with you and for you and for your glory. May the steps we take, God, in the next days be for your glory. And living closer to the one who loves us so much. I pray, God, all this in your precious and in your holy name. Amen.